I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. How's everyone doing? Hey, what's going on, Sam? Hey, not too bad. How are you today? Yeah, I'm doing well, thank you. I'm doing well. Just uh, cracking on with everything that needs to get done, man. How about you? Ah, not too bad. A uh, little hot where I'm at, but can't complain. Where you at? LA? Uh, Florida. That's humid hot as well. That's not even nice hot. Yeah. <laughs> we just had like a thunderstorm yesterday. So right after that, it gets uh, pretty hot. Yeah, I've heard about those Florida storms almost daily in the summer, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's getting to that point where uh, we're getting to the summer now. And yeah, it's going to be pretty much every day. Yeah, that's not for me, man. That's not for me on that <laughs> peninsula. <laughs> you you out in uh, out in LA? Oh, I wish, man. I'm in um I'm in Birmingham, England, so it's wet, miserable, um and dark. Oh man. That's crazy. <laughs> so it's it's so crazy. I was supposed to uh, be out there um this past year for a trip, but you know, COVID happened and just wasn't uh wasn't able to get out. Andrew in the chat just put Adam is a peaky blinder. Andrew, I'm telling you, bro, like um, that when they're filming that, that ruins my commute to and from work every single time. So um, yeah, they I don't watch it because it annoys me so much when I'm trying to travel. So the way this show works for anybody that's new in the chat, anybody that's um, Sam, if this is your first time, uh, generally it's um, it's just a Q and A style. It's a mailbag. Um, ask me anything you want about the Celtics, anything you want to talk about. And then it'll get posted on Celtics Blog SB Nation on their podcast feed on Wednesday. All right, cool. Uh, just just one real quick question. I, I've been hearing a lot of people talking about it lately, and uh, I'm I'm kind of uh, torn in in two directions about it. I've been hearing a lot of talk about people wanting to trade Kemba uh, in the off season, and you know, some days uh, like yesterday where he looks really good, you know, cutting down to the basket, you know, getting those um, quick bursts to the rim you know, layups and, and all of that. It's like, no, you know, we can't trade him. But there's times where he just looks terrible. And it's like, well, maybe if we can get something for him, you know, that'd be great. Or what do you think should be done there in the offseason, if anything? I mean, it's a good question, right? I mean, for me, I think that you're not really going to get comparable value back for Kemba. Uh, I don't think there's a market for him at the moment. His value compared to the contract is quite low. If you look at the Celtics without him, they're 11 and 9. If you look at them with him, let me just pull them up now. They're 17 and 17. So it's not like he's making a huge improvement being on the floor. But I think that having somebody like him that can penetrate, um, that can turn the corner and really put the jets on guys and then can get his step back going from mid-range and has a, a clutch pedigree that it's it's not something that you can teach. While I do understand why player, people want him gone, the contract's huge, he's not really performing up to the level of what you'd expect a $30 million a year guy to perform to, I just think that any trade that you make means that you're essentially dumping the salary. You're going to have to attach picks to him to move on from him, and anybody you get back, you'll be lucky if they're a contributing rotation piece, let alone a starter. So I just don't see how moving him now makes a, a ton of sense to be quite honest i think that if he rebuilt his value in the playoffs and you could get comparable value back even if it was like two guys that their production tallied up to what you wanted from kemba i could see that being an okay move 
But right now, I just don't see how moving on from him and bringing back a veteran on a, a one-year deal that's going to ride the bench for the year, I don't see how that makes you better. And it's not like him leaving frees up $30 million. The Celtics are deep into the tax. Tatum's extension kicks in uh, in the summer. You're going to have to re-sign Evan Fournier. Marcus Smart's deal's up to be re-signed the year after. Moving on from Kemba doesn't give you this $30 million you can go and invest in the offseason. So I just don't understand how moving on from him can make a ton of sense unless he rebuilds that value. Okay, yeah, makes sense. And and you, you mentioned it, it kind of in your answer there. Uh, do we know what the deal is with Evan Fournier yet? Like, does he have this, the, you know, COVID? Does he not? Is it just contact tracing? I mean, the team generally just say health and safety protocols. Generally, the the way I've been looking at it is if you're out for more than three or four days with health and safety protocols, you've got COVID. And it's up to the player to confirm or deny that the team won't do so. Uh, they'll just continue to say health and safety and then health and safety rehabilitation. Um, so I would assume that he has got COVID now. He did have that false positive test when he first came over. Uh, and then maybe it wasn't a false positive. Maybe it was like a positive false or something, you know, something crazy where he actually did have it, but then it come back negative and on the retest, it showed that, hey, dude, you're actually quite sick. Um, I think he'll be back once Boston return in um, back home, which would be when they're up against the Warriors. I think that's the earliest game that you'll see him back, which is two more games where they'll have the, the Blazers and then they'll have the Lakers and then they'll fly back to Boston to play against the Warriors. So I think that that's the earliest time you're going to see him. He didn't travel with them on the West Coast trip, which that that alone tells me that it's most likely COVID symptoms or he has tested positive and he's just recovering, even if he's asymptomatic. Okay, makes sense. No, I said yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. Um, I was thinking that we we could have used him, you know, out there on uh, on this trip after seeing what they did to the uh, to the Nuggets yesterday. I mean. And seeing how the Blazers lost to the Heat last night, how they've been kind of sliding, maybe we can take one off of them and then, you know, take down the depleted Lakers. And that would be, you know, one hell of a road trip. Yeah, so the the Blazers defensively, I think they're like 23rd in the league or somewhat stupid, 20 or 29th. It's a bad defense. They're quite poor defensively. So they do rely on like their offensive punch from Dame, um, from CJ. I know Cantor's had a couple of big games for them offensively. But I'm not too worried. I think if you can contain the perimeter, they're not a team that are going to really punish you inside too much. I know you need to be wary of Cantor and you need to box out on him. But I think somebody like Tristan Thompson will be able to do a really good job against him and just basically bully him off the boards a little bit. Um, and then you come up against the Lakers. There's no LeBron. There's no Anthony Davis. You need to be careful of um, THT's penetration game. He can score off the dribble. And then you just need to lock up Kyle Kuzma from the corner and then I think that both of these games are more than winnable and they're both it's very reasonable to ask that they split them one for one if they do to if they go to two and oh and win both of these games then great but I just I think that the tired legs will prevail as well these west coast trips can be quite quite tough on the legs yeah that that that'd be that'd be pretty good I you know, I, when they first came out here, I was thinking, you know, I I think it's um three games that they're out here for Nuggets, uh, Blazers, uh, Lakers. I was thinking, you know, one and two, you know, that'd be great. But uh, seeing how they did so well yesterday, I mean, yeah, if they can go two and one or even possibly three and zero, oh, that that'd be great. Keep them two games above five hundred, or maybe even go uh, three games above. Now with with the East, uh, how the bottom is shaken out, you know, four through 
eight. You know, I'm not even going to go into nine and ten with how the Pacers and, and the Bulls are kind of down there battling with each other. How do you see the Celtics shaking out with, I think, what, 17, 18 games left, uh, considering the schedules of the other teams? Yeah, I haven't looked at the other team's schedules too much to be able to make like um, a real informed decision. Uh, I do think that, you know, for, uh, four through 10 is only split by three games, uh, top to bottom. I think the Celtics getting to fourth is really attainable if they play the way they have done the last few games. I think that would be a good end to a rough season and they can't be able to turn it around and sprint towards the finish line. There are a couple of banana skin games. They're going to have the Heat back to back at the um, beginning of May. Not back to back, but it'll be a, a Heat, a game against the Heat, two days after, and another game against the Heat. They've still got to play the Nets again. I think the Bulls are going to be a tough proposition. I know they haven't really clicked since they made those moves, but you have to be wary of a team that's got Nikola Vucevic, Kobe White, Zach Levine. They've got some good pieces there. Um, I think that Boston should be the team that's favoured to finish fourth now. I don't see Atlanta um, holding on to that spot. I don't think Boston play Atlanta again, though, so it could be that Boston finish fifth. But I do see three games behind just isn't enough for me to write this team off and count them out with the way they're performing at the moment, especially with how JT and JB have been playing. Yeah, and kind of a follow-up you know, on that, kind of with the whole schedule and seating and all that, who, who would you think would be a, the best possible first-round matchup for this team that they matched up, match up well against, whether it be that they finish seven or eight and go against one of the um, top one, two, or three, or whether they finish four and they have to do a four or five. So if we just look at the standings for now, the way things are at the moment, you've got, say, Boston take four, Miami stay where they are, and the Hawks drop to six. I think that Miami are going to be a real tough matchup at the four and five. Um, but I think that's going to be the where it falls. I think it's just going to be Boston versus Miami or versus Atlanta in the first round. Um, I think Miami is still going to be a really tough proposition in the playoffs. They're just, Eric Spolster is just too good to let them get knocked out in the first round. I think that if you want a, a good chance of coming out of that round, then you want to be matched up against the Atlanta Hawks. I think that the Hawks are good. They've got some really good pieces, but they just don't have that playoff pedigree to them, I don't think. I know they've brought in Danilo Gallinari, they've got Bogdanovich, but Trey Young on defense is so easy to target. And I know people say that about Kemba, but I'm just not sure Nate McMillan's had enough time with this team to really drill his defensive principles into them that would be able to kind of withstand the Jalen, Jason, Fournier and Kemba barrage of just insane amounts of dribble drive penetration and high pick and roll. So I think if you're going to choose anybody, I would... Out of everyone, I think the Hornets, um, sorry, the Hawks would be my favorable matchup. If not them, then the Hornets. Okay, cool. Good, good to know. Interesting. Yeah, I, I was kind of thinking, kind of thinking the same thing. Yeah, I just don't see how, um, I think Clint Capella would be a huge problem, but I think Brad Stevens is just the better coach and he'll make the, the necessary adjustments to come out of that series. And then the second round is, you know, that's where I've been projecting Boston to finish all year. And I'm not going to change that projection based on a, a seven, a seven and three, 10 game stretch. I'd want to see more before I, I start to dream a bit of a conference finals appearance again. Yeah. I was, I was thinking, depending on how things, you know, shaped up, I, I really like their chances, whether it be in a second round matchup, first round, depending on how the cards fall. I really like their, their chances against the Bucks. I don't know. I, I just feel like they, they match up real well against them, especially now with uh, Fournier, that, you know, extra scoring punch. And, you know, Brad Stevens has that kind of a uh, Giannis playoff defense, you know, kind of 
setup that he can he can use against him. I know it's been you know what what has it been three four years since they played in that that first round when the series went to seven. So I know it's been a while, but you know the the book is kind of set on Giannis in the playoffs. So it's you know it's not like he's unstoppable. So I think that'd be a, a an interesting matchup. It wouldn't be a, a easy sweep. They sweep the Celtics and you know call it a day. I think it'd be a really tough out for them. I was talking and I was on mute, wasn't I? Um, <laughs> yeah, I was saying that I think um, any team with a stretch big could give Boston some issues. Um, I think Rob Williams is still developing there, learning how to deal with guys that can pull him out onto the perimeter and not get back cut to death. I think that there is a viable route towards the conference finals. It's most likely they finish second. Um, they get bounced in the second round against a team like Philly or Brooklyn. And then getting bounced in the first is just an abject failure that's... Uh, in my opinion, it's inexcusable. Cool, cool. All right. Um, you can go ahead and uh, get to uh, someone else if, if you wanted to now. Awesome, man. Thank you very much for taking the time to jump up with it. Yeah, thanks so much, man. Later. Later, dude. Yo, what's up, Andrew? Thank you for being patient, buddy. Uh, thanks for having me, Adam. I appreciate it. Yeah, pleasure's all mine, man. How you doing? I'm all right. Um, I was uh, interested with the um, the Kemba Walker talk that you guys were talking about a little earlier. Um, first off, I think it's well known that I'm a Brad Stevens hater, but we are on a little win streak right now, so I'll, you know, keep, keep quiet on that end. Um, but I will say uh, Kemba Walker, I think he was like 6 for 15 last night and 0 for 7 from 3. I mean, but, um, and that's pretty, that's kind of like a standard stat line for him. That's not, um, like he's pretty standardly bad from three and it's just, it's not what you, uh, pay 30 million for definitely. And, uh, my biggest gripe with him though is on the defensive end. Um, he kind of gets blown past a decent amount. Um, he's undersized, but even though if he's not getting scored on, it causes rotation because he gets beat so easily and then it'll be get a wide open shot because um, he's causing help um, from our wings or, or uh, something like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't really know. I, I definitely would say Danny Ainge has a, uh, a tricky, tricky summer coming up with him and what, what he's going to do with him. But I definitely agree with you. There's not really much market for him. Like nobody would really want him. He's got a bad knee. He's getting old. Um, I can only see him going to a team like, um, not not the Magic, but a team like the Magic, who's kind of just offloading their players um, and just trying to, you know, restart, press the restart button. So it'll be an interesting summer. And I agree with you totally. We're a second round knockout team right now, even though we are playing well. Yeah, I mean, for me, Kemba becomes more valuable once he enters that final year of his deal. I'm, I'm basically resigned to him opting into that player, that player option. I think it's like $37, $38 million. I don't know a single soul in the world that's going to leave that on the table when they know they're not going to get an offer like that again. Um, so I can see him opting into that, but that to me is when his contract actually becomes valuable for the reasons that you mentioned. A team that's looking to shed some cap space the following off season can, make a deal, you know, Boston attached a couple of picks, they move on from Kemba, they've already re-signed everybody they need to re-sign, so they've got a better lay of the land with how their cap situation is going to look. And then you move on from Kemba for somebody preferably a bit younger who plays guard position with a bit more size than what Kemba has. 
and the team that acquired Kemba get to just let that contract tip down and then shed that salary in the summer. That is two years away, though, so obviously that's not ideal. But as you said, realistically, if you're moving on from Kemba right now, then you're doing it to a team that are, are not really going to give you much back. I know somebody messaged me earlier like, hey, couldn't they do what? Um, Philadelphia did with Horford and attach a couple of picks to our Horford and move off him for a, a Danny Green or somebody at that level. And that's always possible, but the, both teams need to be buyers. Like Both teams need to feel like that's a good deal. And for a team like Oklahoma at that moment in time, bringing in a veteran like Al Horford, who's known as a consummate professional, known as a guy that will help in a mentorship role, that makes sense. And while I think Canberra is exactly the same in terms of professionalism and mentorship, that's a hefty chunk of change to pay to a point guard that can't play game after game. Back-to-backs, he has to sit out. And I understand that'll be less of an impact next year once the season's spaced out correctly instead of this truncated year. But it's definitely going to be hard to find buyers for Canberra unless he has like a ridiculous playoff run and single-handedly drags them to the finals or the conference finals. Then the discussion can change a little bit. But I just don't see that happening. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, you always give um, Kemba that's run won the Big East. You always kind of uh, believe that he's got something up his sleeve um, when it comes to crunch time and stuff like that. So um, you always keep the door open. But here's a question for you. Um, I argue a lot with my neighbors about the Celtics and um, what it would look like um, a, cu- a few years down the line because – my understanding is I think that um, Marcus Smart is the best passer on our team. And he, I, in my opinion, would fill in the point guard role that Kemba's in right now um, pretty nicely because he's. Um, it would force him to be more of a pass-first guy. Um, he'd probably do less. And then, you know, he's feeding our Jays rather than um, having a score, you know, ball-dominant um, point guard just taking up a chunk of the offense. Um, and then you can use that Kemba money. Um, you know, it's better suited elsewhere, in my opinion. I'll agree with you that Marcus Smart is the like the heir apparent to that starting point guard position. I also agree that he's arguably the best passer on the team. I think Robert Williams has something to say yep, about I got that. Him second. Especially, especially in another year or two of development. Um, I'm just not sure whether, I mean... And I like Marcus Smart. I think that he's been fantastic during this 10-game run. Um, when he's not shooting you out of a game, he's one of the most impactful guys on the team. But I'm just, I have questions about, is he capable of being the starting point guard on a championship roster? Like Marcus Smart's value is as a six-man that can come off the bench and D you up, in my opinion. Um, I just don't, I think there's a, a huge difference in being a super impactful guy that can lock guys up and score but compared to a guy that can help lead you to a championship. Now, I get that you've got Jalen and Jason, but the idea was to have that extra scoring threat in Campbell Walker that's going to create space to allow Jalen and Jason to get downhill. And I don't think Marcus Smart provides you that level of space in necessary. Right. Yeah. Makes It makes sense. I, I, I hear the, uh, I get the argument on both sides of it. I would send your take on it. Of course, man. I mean, this is a debate that everybody's having at the moment. I think it's a debate people are going to have until Kemba leaves. I do. I have said this before. I think Kemba's getting the Gordon Hayward treatment this year, where fans are just disillusioned with the production. He's on the floor. He's a guy that we signed as who was a first option, putting up first option numbers in Charlotte, has came and is now a third option, and is struggling to adjust to that role. 
And I don't think people will appreciate Kemper's value until he's gone, similar to what happened with Hayward last year and then everyone making that realisation this year. Right. Yeah, I understand. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think I'm good for now. Um, I appreciate it, Adam. Of course, man. It's always good to speak to you, especially in a, a less um, a less Brad Stevens-centered yeah, setting. Hey, hey, if uh, I got a pretty uh, bad feeling about uh, tomorrow night against the Blazers, um, because, like I said, you can't, uh, you Kemba can't really switch off uh, from Dame to CJ McCollum, so he's the guards are going to eat us alive, in my opinion. So it might be a different story. Uh, come after tomorrow night i might uh be coming for kemba and brad stevens throat again i got a room on wednesday so we can see what happens on wednesday buddy thank you for jumping up today though perfect all right then look after yourself bro what's good brian hey what's going on adam how you doing there buddy i'm doing well man i'm doing well how about you good so all right i'm I'm gonna change everything i'm gonna put a whole spin on the kemba walker thing because everybody you know is quick to want to throw kemba in the trash how about we do this at this point we know nobody's going to take the contract. Nobody's that crazy, I don't believe. No team's going to say, I want Kemba Walker. You move him to the second unit, give him starter minutes, let him run with the bench. Why? Kemba has thrived with misfits. You know what the bench is full of? Misfits. He can be the number one option then. People don't understand. The third option is the hardest option to adapt to, especially when you were the number one for so many years. So it's like your boss making you the lead on a job, and then now he's asking you to now almost be a spectator. That's not your job. You weren't good at that. You were good at leading. So let's move Kimba to the second unit, a la Manu Ginobili. Give him starter minutes and let him run with the misfits, and let's just make the best of this deal that we got with Kimba. I like that. Who would you have alongside him um, in terms of the, the surrounding team? Because I know he likes to stagger Jalen and Jason there as well, so Kimba would still primarily be a second option. So who would be your ideal five coming off the bench in that rotation? Now, you you asking me to uh, create some new um, uh, puzzles there. And I can make it work, but, I mean, Kimba has had so many misfits, and Kimba made it work. So I think that he would thrive more with the second unit. And I get it. Everybody goes crazy, the $141 million. You don't do that to get a second unit guy. Guess what? You bought a, you bought a used car. You didn't know what the used car was going to run like. Now it's not really running the way you thought it was going to run. All right, let's put it in the shop. Let's get a tune-up, and let's now turn it into the weekend ride. And that's what Kimba's going to be on the second unit is the weekend. So let's, let's be patient with Kimba. You guys have basically broken down so well. Um, the Celtics, honestly, Adam and I, and I'll let you go off this one, I, um, the Celtics have struggled with this point guard position over the last couple of years, whether it was Kyrie or Rozier and now Kimba Walker. That point guard position for Boston has been so hard to get on the same page with um, Tatum and Brown. So, yeah, again, guys, anybody that's listening, let's make it the best. Um, let's take Maybe move Walker to the second unit next year. Remember, he's 30 going on 31, getting a little bit older. Run with the second unit. Let's make it the best what we can do. So continue to uh, host a great room, Adam. I always appreciate the opportunity to voice my opinion, man, always. Of course, man. And you make a good point. If you look at when the point guard struggles began, it was when Tatum and Brambis started to ascend from role players to um, 
first options and star level guys. So that's something that I definitely have considered. Like maybe a scoring point guard isn't what you need right now because you already have two guys that are going to have the ruck in their hands and be tasked with scoring. And that's why I think a lot of fans were kind of tantalized by the idea of getting Alonzo Ball, somebody that's going to facilitate and will always look to tee his guys up and cue them up before trying to finish himself. The only downside with Lonzo was he was a perimeter playmaker rather than a penetration playmaker. And I think Boston needs somebody that can put the defense in rotation rather than play in front of a set five defense, which is what they've been doing all year and failing to crack. As soon as Kemba Walker started penetrating and rotations are happening, we're starting to see Jalen and Jason get easier opportunities towards the rim, help defenses coming over to one, and then we're getting nice, easy dump-off passes. So it is definitely something that you could look to. And I like the creativity, man. It's the first time someone suggested that to me, other than just play Kemba off the bench. You're saying keep him in starting minutes, keep him operating at a starting level, but just run with the bench, guys, and you know, and we'll figure out how to get you more looks because one of Jalen or Jason will usually be on the bench while you're on the floor. So I like that idea. Um, anyone that's listening, DM me, tweet at me, um, do whatever you want to do to let me know what you think about that. I'm going to bring up the next guy. Brian, thank you very much for uh, joining in. Hey, Adam, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, man, yeah. Hey, if you're good, I'm good. Good, good, good to hear, man. Uh, just two quick questions for you. Uh, one, with being on the app, I've kind of been able to check more Celtics games, and I was really proud of them yesterday in the game over the, the Denver Nuggets. Uh, could you tell me a little bit of your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that Jokic was just dominating for a large stretch of that game. But uh, obviously the three is not falling hurt. That really messes up the spacing. It messes up the team. If you make your freeze, defenses have to push up on you, which then opens those driving lanes and the back cut opportunities, baseline opportunities. If you're not making freeze, then teams can sag a little bit more, which made it really hard to get anything going towards the rim, settling for some really tough pull-up middies. And then I think the turning point in that game was when Jermichael Green fouled Romeo Langford and Grant Williams was like furious with it. He was jawing at Jermichael Green. He came over, really vocalized his frustration. And I think that like geared the team up for a battle. And then Jalen Brown had some huge energy plays. Kemba Walker finished that third with that one. Um, I think it was the scoop layup and got Drew the foul and he was hyped up. And I think that energy... And the fact that everybody was on the same page and communicating with each other led to what we saw in the fourth quarter where Boston just blew that team out. Yeah, and that's and I always say to Celtics fans, it's like I feel like Boston just has it and, and Denver is a solid team. They they were streaking, so that was just good to see you guys take that W. My follow up to that uh is to this point right now, what grade would you give uh Brad Stevens? For this season, this up until that last night's game, uh, what 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 grade does he get of his body think, work for right now to this point? I think it's got to be a B minus. Like he's had a really tough coaching year in terms of his core four were not available until like two thirds of the way through the season. They'd only played like four or five games together. Um, he's had injury issues up the wazoo. You know, um, when one big man's healthy, the next one injured. When when Kemba can't play, you're relying on Marcus Smart, but then Marcus Smart's injured, so you've got Jeff Teague and Peyton Pritchard as your rotating point guards. Um, there's been times where J- Jason Tatum's missed games. When Tatum comes back, Jalen Brown's out for a while. So there's been a lot that he's had to deal with, along with a very uneven roster in terms of um, 
construction and top heaviness and not having enough depth to to it. So I think he's done the best he can with the team he's got. I still think there's been some questionable decisions. The two big lineup was questionable to me. Uh, leaving guys on the floor a bit longer than what they probably should have been has been an issue for Brad Stevens for years. Uh, making smart timeout calls uh, has also been an issue for Brad for years. So I don't think he's um, done a terrible job, but I think there is room for improvement. So I think a B minus is fair all round. All right. Hey, thank you, Adam. Of course, man. Thank you very much. Hey, Adam. What's up? Yo, what's going on, Ryan? Hey, uh, I just have a question about Grant Williams. Go for it, man. I'm, I'm yeah. intrigued. I haven't seen a Celtics game in a while, and I've just seen Celtics fan on my Twitter just killing Grant Williams. What are your thoughts on him? I think Grant's had an up and down year. Like, um, it's the tweener conundrum for me. I spoke about this on today's podcast, actually. Like, um, when you're a tweener, it's very hard to find a defined role in the NBA, uh, unless your name's Draymond Green and you're elite at like three or four different aspects. Um, with Grant, like a lot of the time this year, he's been played as the four, uh, and he's been asked to guard towards the, the the corners or the slots. And I just don't think he has the foot speed, the lateral quickness to really stay in front of elite level wings or just semi-decent wings, to be quite honest with you. I think that that caused a lot of issues for him to begin with because now all of a sudden you're getting blown by when you're used to playing as a small ball five and you can use your physicality. Now you're playing in a role that requires more athleticism and agility, which you just isn't your strong suit. Um, I think Boston, over the last few weeks, have adjusted their defensive scheme a little bit, which has allowed... Uh, Grant Williams to play that four position but play in from the perimeter a little bit more alongside Christian Thompson and I think that's really working well and we're seeing some of the best Grant Williams basketball we've seen since the playoffs last year he looks he looks great he's making really high IQ help defensive plays he's sliding his feet well he's using um, he's getting under guys he gave Nikola Jokic trouble yesterday and you know if you're a guy that was struggling for minutes earlier in the year and now you're making the MVP elect real really struggle and you're frustrating the life out of him you're doing something good. Uh, on offense, I think that they could utilize him more in dribble handoffs at the top, uh, especially at the slot, use him in fake DHO schemes where he can fake a DHO, slip with the ball, and then make the read to kick out. Uh, in the corners, he's been electric. For a guy that struggled when he first came into the league, I think he's cash money from the corner three. But he does struggle from, from the slot or then from above the break to hit those frees with consistency. And I think that does hurt his game a little bit in terms of being involved with the offensive flow a little bit more. Overall, I think he's a good piece. I just don't know how Boston fit him in on a regular a regular basis with the defensive flaws that he's got when he's pulled onto the perimeter. Mm-hmm. And then that leads me to my second question, which is what do you think the Celtics center rotation looks like come playoff time? I think that it's Mar- um, Marcus Smart. I was going to say uh, he could play. He could play five. Let's go, with Marcus Smart. Now I think it's Rob Williams and Tristan Thompson basically switching starting duties dependent on matchup. Um, and then I think you'll see some Grant Williams at small ball five again, matchup depending. Uh, I'd like them to keep Rob Williams out there so he can taste what it's like to play against elite level big men in a playoff setting and kind of get that education that he needs to keep improving. But Tristan Thompson at the moment is fighting for that starting spot back. And he's doing a really good job of it. So I think we'll see both of them get um, starts depending on matchups. And obviously, the deeper the team goes, the more we're going to see that kind of get rotated. If it's only a one series and done, 
then you know whoever gets to start on the first game is probably going to be the guy that gets to start on the fourth or fifth. Interesting. All right. Thanks, Adam. Of course, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was good, Sam. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me here. I've got uh, a question that's not so much about the team, but related to the um, to the franchise as a, a whole. Um, when you and and Wayne hosted the interview with Taco, uh, that was a great room, by the way. Shouts out to both of you for putting that together and um, great convo. Um, but one Appreciate thing, you, thank you. Yeah, one thing that I think you mentioned in that room was how, like yourself in England, um, and how many of your peers or many of the other people where you're from, um, is like a large Celtics fan base. Um, and I think that's really cool to think about myself when I think of leagues that, you know, are in Europe or other continents I'm in the U S and how my friends and my locals become fans of teams in leagues that aren't here. Um, and I was wondering just like, if you could give a little bit on what NBA teams, um, perhaps including the Celtics, um, are big where you're from and why you think that is. Yeah, of course, man. Um, Chicago Bulls are big among people like 30 and above uh, simply because of the Jordan era. That was like when you were growing up. Uh, I'm in my 30s, so people my age and a little bit older, the only games we really got shown were Chicago, LA and Boston and sometimes Detroit. So obviously a lot of people that were very much, we just watched for the entertainment, we watched for the flashiness. They gravitated towards the Chicago Bulls. You had Tony Kukoc, you had Scottie Pippen, you had Michael Jordan and Dennis Rodman and all this like, you know, it was like the pinnacle of when basketball really popped and became a global entity. So there is a bucket load of like 30 to 40 year old NBA fans here that are Chicago Bulls fans. Uh, If you want to go a little bit younger and similar to my age again, it's going to be the Lakers, Kobe Bryant. Um, There's some people a little bit older that probably got to see a little bit of um, some magic. So the Lakers are big. Miami are big because of when LeBron was there um, back in a few years back. You see a lot of people with Miami, Miami jerseys. Funnily enough, nobody really wraps Cleveland. Nobody's really supporting Cleveland out here. So go figure why, how that works. Um, and then Boston. So they're usually the primary teams. If you're going to encounter NBA fans here, it's generally one of those. And then you will get your odd guy that supports what I call the obscure teams, and they're not obscure to you guys stateside, but to me, if I meet an English guy that's a Charlotte Hornets fan or a Minnesota Timberwolves fan, it's generally very, very rare, and it's more along the lines of my parents took me to a game, and that was the team I watched play, and that's been the team that I've followed ever since. That's way cool to hear. I appreciate the input and just kind of being a part of these rooms on the weekly. Uh, I always like attending these, so thanks for doing what you do for the Celtics. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for being a part of it. Uh, I'm definitely coming up again next time or later on today, whichever one comes first. All right, bet. Thank you very much, dude. Andrew, man, what's going on? No Brad Stevens hate. No Brad Stevens hate. Nope, nope. It's not not about Brad. Don't worry. Um, (laughs) uh, While I got you quickly before um, Michael gets back on here, um, are you from – I know you're from England, Adam, um, but you're – you live in New England now? No, no, no. I'm st- I still live in England. I'm waiting okay. for an opportunity to move stateside. Gotcha. So, um, the sports radio in Boston, 98.5 um, Sports Hub, there, uh, they were talking over this weekend. I think it was kind of before we got on this little winning streak. It must have been before the Timberwolves game or the Knicks game. And they were saying, basically, 
you know, they're, they're already talking about moving on from one Jalen or Jason. And, um, one of them, one of them had, you know, moving on, moving on from Jason. Um, not gonna lie. Uh, but I saw that, but did see that questions for you, you know, if, you know, the world was crumbling down and you had to pick one, who, who are you taking to, you know, keep going with? Oh man, you're putting me in a tough position here. First of all, <laughs> I will say that when I saw that, I did quote retweet it and say, you've heard of Nick's for clicks. This is Tatum for trending. Yeah. Um, I do think that it's, um, from what I've seen of 98.5, it does seem very hot take. It's not my uh, cup of tea. I'm unfortunate or fortunate, depending on which way you want to spin it, that I don't really get access to their show. So it's not something I listen to. I do try and find a way of listening to it when Danny Ainge is on there, though. Um, I think if I have to, if you're going to put me in a point where the world's ending unless I make a decision of one of these two guys and that's the only way to save the entire world and defeat Thanos, then I'm going to choose JT. I just think that he's got that star, that like superstar potential. And while I think Jalen may be the guy that's more conducive to leading a team and guiding guiding younger guys through up and down stretches i think that you need a superstar to win if not more than one superstar and tatum will be that guy that becomes that superstar so i'd go jt i hear you yeah i would say the same except i will say you know just to be the devil's advocate there has been times this year when i've just you know because tatum's kind of had his um you know, stretches of games where he's not, you know, playing at the level that I know he's capable of. Um, and there's been times this year, especially early on, where Jalen was definitely, um, you know, showing more promise, you know, attacking the rim, hitting his shots. Um, but I, I hear you. I agree with you that Tatum's kind of got more upside or potential. His, his yeah, just, speaking. Yeah, I just think that um, he's, he's just going to be the guy, you know. You, he'll be the guy that you... In a game seven, down two with five seconds left on the clock, who do you want taking that final shot on this current roster? And it's going to be Jason Tatum every time. So that's the guy you have to rock with when you're trying to win a championship because there will be a point where you need to make that type of shot. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you very much, my guy. You've kept me company while I've waited for Mike. I got you. Appreciate it, dude. What's going on, Mike? What's up, man? How are you? I'm doing well, bro. I'm doing well. You? Great, great. Just loving Sunday afternoon and seeing the Celtics just hold an NBA team to under 10 points in a quarter. It's pretty fun. It was enjoyable, man. It was enjoyable. Do you know what else I enjoyed? The fact that it started early enough for me to watch it live, get a podcast recorded after, and not feel sad going to bed. Yeah. Touche. That's a great point. Love that. <laughs> and I'm glad you were able to uh, be able to enjoy that. That was, uh, I think, one of their better efforts. I think uh, between some of the guys we were talking to was one of their better efforts of the season. Uh, man, it was fun. Do you know what? They've really stunk the place out on matinees lately. Uh, th- that New York loss, I think there was a Wizards loss, I think there was a Detroit loss, all on matinee games. So then to win a matinee against Denver is like... It's well needed for Celtics fans, especially like um, non-stateside Celtics fans, but also just the performance they put in, the resolve they showed, the resiliency to kind of not let the fact that they were getting whooped for a good amount of time like destroy them. So I, I was super happy with the performance, and hopefully they can 
take something from that and then go against Portland and LA and maybe finish up the West Coast trip free enough? Man, if they were to get Portland, I mean, I think I was talking with some of the Celtics fans last week and I was like, man, they're on national TV four straight days here. Um, could be, uh, obviously you see it as an opportunity, but then, you know, try to maybe silence some of those critics that have been going on the last three weeks. So really exciting opportunity for them. I had a question for you regarding a tweet you shared. Um, I think you said it was the last three weeks you saw that Bo- is it Boston is number eight in, def- in defensive rating? Yeah, last um, two weeks, yeah. Last two weeks. What are you seeing being the difference? Because that is a staple of Brad, um, like in terms of his calling card, um, because of just being able for pace and where I thought the emphasis was on that definitely much more over more over than this previous season. But what's what's changed? What's clicked? And uh, have you seen anything on film of why that is? Yeah, so um, I will kind of premise this with um, I like cleaning the glass for my statistics like this. I may do a two-week rolling update on this. Every day they'll change it over the last 14 days. They do filter out garbage time. So if you look on NBA stats, Boston might be ninth or 10th over the last two weeks. Filtering out the garbage minutes, that's when you'll get them to eighth. Um, and I like that because, you know, that's meaningful minutes at that point. And that's after, like before a team's given up, which means you can take a lot more out of that, knowing that every possession was while both teams were trying to win. Um, I think that what we've seen from them now is just they're making way better help defensive decisions. Um, they're sliding their feet more when they are rotating. They're not leaving the corner free open on the weak side as much as what they were. They'll still help off that weak side corner because that's what you need to do in help principles. But they'll make sure that they're positioned in the passing lane to kind of deter that swing pass. And they were getting cooked a bunch on dribble drive penetration off the strong side, followed by that swing to the weak side corner. Um, it was really frustrating and they got hit with that probably for two thirds of the season. And I, I think that they've sunk their guys in a little bit more to kind of close the floor where possible. And they're making sure they're in the passing lanes rather than just passing lane adjacent, which has deterred some of the passes that were cooking them early. Uh, their perimeter defense, they feel, I feel like they're pressuring the ball more. They're not just waiting for penetration and then trying to put resistance up. They're really getting into guys' grills. They're rotating over to help if somebody gets blown by. Uh, they're switching more. Brad Stevens has been speaking about this. They've Most of the year, they've played quite um, a traditional defensive scheme, and now they've gone back to their switching scheme. They're starting to really find ways to penet- um, pressure penetration, and they're still running that ice defense on the corners because the, that's what they've been doing this year. They'll run ice if someone's running corner pick and rolls. They'll run weak if someone's running um, above the break pick and rolls, high, high pick and rolls. But they're just communicating at a much higher effort. Um, much higher efficiency rate. And then on, like, they're commanding the def- the glass as well. I think Robert Williams has shown that he can be a good uh, rebound man. Boardman will get paid. Um, I think that Tristan Thompson is really fighting for that starting spot back. And then now they've slid Grant Williams next to Tristan Thompson. I don't know why, but it just feels like that pairing there is ridiculously good at dealing with strong big men and guys that like to ghost in off that, um, that right-hand side corner. So I think that that's been a big factor in the last like four, maybe four-ish games since Thompson's been back of why their defense has taken that. Okay, man, I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully continuing over the next couple of weeks and then you being able to uh, show us uh, some of those key plays and key moments that they've been really locking in. So this is this is great. Really love your content, my man. And uh, thanks again for last week, obviously. And- now, I appreciate you, man. Thank you very much. I will say that, 
You're you're a humble, humble, humble man of the people. We appreciate you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much, buddy. Okay, everybody, I've got time for one more. So if anybody wants to jump up, that's fine. Otherwise, I might call it early. I prefer not to do that. So if anybody wants to hit that speaker request, then go right ahead. We've got Rob. I ain't spoke to Rob today. What's going on, Rob? All right, I got one question. If you could add any former Celtics player to this team, who do you think would have the most impact on this team? Kevin Garnett. Don't even need to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. they need that leadership. They need that uh, that intensity. They need some. I think that Marcus Smart brings leadership and intensity. I think that Tristan Thompson's doing a great job too. But Kevin Garnett's just on a completely different level. And I don't think that Boston have the uh, downward swings that they've had. If Kevin Gar- if prime Kevin Garnett's on that roster, then um, he's punching guys out before he lets them take that downward spiral like they have done. So without question, without even needing to think twice on it, uh, KG is the guy. So if you take 2008 Kevin Garnett uh, and put him on the Celtics team, how far do they go? Do they win the championship? Do they get past Brooklyn? What happens? I think if you have what with this, who, who, so I can choose any guy to take off this roster and just add Kevin Garnett in their place, and we're gonna throw we're gonna throw cap space out the window for a moment, yeah? Yeah. We're playing full fantasy basketball. Yeah. Okay, so I'm cutting Carson Edwards instantly, putting KG <laughs> on the team. I'm giving KG a vet minimum, so it works cat-wise. <laughs> KG's taking a huge hometown discount. Um, I think that roster starting five of... Um, well, how would you run that? It would be Marker, it would be Kemba, Brown, Tatum. What would you do? You'd ha- Would you run KG at the four? You'd have to run KG at the five, right? It doesn't matter, but I think that's a finals team. I think that's a, an NBA finals team. And then I think they push whoever they play in the finals to seven and arguably win it because anything is possible. <laughs> All right. And any other player that you'd like to see, just in general? Larry Bird, Bob Cousy. Does it, I'd, I'd, see, I'd love Bob Cousy on this team because I just want to see how he'd handle playing in this level of NBA against this level of athlete with the dribbling skills and uh, the much documented questions of whether Cousy could have impacted it. Um, yeah, I, I think it'd have to be like someone like Bird. The, 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 they need another floor spacer. Three-point shooting's at a premium. Bird's playmaking from a point-forward position would be fantastic. If we want to go, I mean, Havlicek would be great. If we want, to, I don't think Antoine Walker would help this team very much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that'd just be more of the same. Um, how about my it, guy Tony Allen? How about that? Yeah, I think Tony Allen could work. I don't know how much of an impact he'd have. I think as a bench guy, I think he'd be fantastic. As long as it's not Chris Humphreys, I'll pretty much take anybody. To be quite honest, <laughs> Chris Humphreys is. The, um, I'm trying to think of like more obscure names. Just, just a bunch. Uh, do you know what? I'm going to go through and make like uh, do a couple of random rosters with old um, old Celtics players mixed in with this current roster, and I'll try and tweet them out in the next day or two. See what everybody thinks. Yeah. So, after, one more question: Who are your five favorite Celtics players? All time. Yeah, all time. Man, I think uh, I've got to choose people I watch play. Right? Like I could say Havlicek, but I didn't really watch him because I either was not born or really young and he wasn't shown here much. So um, I saw Bird play a little bit. So I choose Larry Bird, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Rajan Rondo. Um, who else could it be? I mean, there's a bunch of guys during that Rick Pitino year that were okay, but they just weren't fantastic. And whenever you're asked to choose your top five, I feel like you always go with the stars, right? 
I think Tatum's a fun guy to watch, but I don't think he's worthy of being put in my favorite top five yet. I think IT has to be in there for what he did for Boston as the little guy and how he took them. So that would be my top five now. Um, I'll probably go back in like an hour or two and think of like 12 of the names that I should have added <laughs> instead of them. But uh, just on the spot, that would be my five. All right. Disappointed no Tony Allen, but... <laughs> no Tony Allen, dude. I'm sorry, man. I know he's your guy. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Adam. Of course, man. Thank you very much. That was a short question. I have enough time for possibly one more. I can see that Shravan's in the in the group, and he likes. There we go. I knew you'd do it, dude. How you doing? Are, are you are you there? Uh, can you hear me now? I got you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, did you talk about the uh, Denver game or no? Did I what? Sorry. Did you talk about the Denver game? Uh, we spoke about like what caused them. What do I think was a reason for them winning and turning a corner? But um, we haven't like gone super in depth. So, if there's anything you want to ask, go for it. Like, like what exactly like turned the game in like late third quarter? Uh, I think it was the foul on Romeo from Jermichael Green, and then the way Grant Williams was like proper fired up and was jawing at Jermichael Green. I think that kind of gave the team like a, a competitive edge. And then Jalen Brown made some huge effort plays down the stretch that I think fired the team up. And then that, that, that final basket off Kemba where he got that and one, um, I think that was what really put that team into like um, kill mode. And then they came out in the fourth riding that momentum and riding that wave and just didn't look back. So is there anything like on tape that is like other teams will lose against Denver? Or is it anything like can our consultants can take anything from the game and build on it for future games yeah i think that when they were playing good basketball it was definitely off penetration uh most of their good looks came because they were driving the lane i think jason tatum getting to the line the way he was was huge um that's definitely something i want to see him do more and when the celtics have been bad it's been because a big indicator has been their lack of free throw attempts so seeing tatum get to the line is important i'd like to see brown do it and convert more um they didn't run too many like defined sets. Like they weren't calling out many like official play calls, but they were doing a lot of off ball back screens. They were um, doing a lot of pin downs and they were just trying to get open driving lanes. And then they were kicking out once the defense reacted. And that's when Boston are at their best. When they pressure the ball, they get out and run in transition. They pitch the passes across the halfway line as fast as possible. And they don't waste 10 seconds getting set up to attack a half court defense. And I think they kind of came out with that energy to run and to push the pace. And that's one of the reasons why it was so hard to contain them. Because once you get Jalen and Jason in the open floor, and then you have the threats of Kemba Walker and Grant Williams in the corner that are going to stretch you out, it's really tough to stop those drives coming in at the hoop. Like we were talking about this before, that like I think last time I asked you, why do not they push, push the pace more? So they showed it in this game. Yeah, and that's been one of the biggest issues for Boston this year is the fact that they'll take 10 seconds to get into a pick-and-roll offensive set, and then they'll run the pick-and-roll, and if the team counters that and like kills the offensive possession and you have to reset, now you've got four seconds, five seconds to get a quality look, and generally it's not going to happen, so you take a tough contested shot. If you sprint the floor, you get up there with 21 seconds left on the clock, now you've got enough time to work, and if it doesn't work, you can reset and try again, and I think that's been what's missing from this Celtics offense this year. Of course, man. Thank you very much, man. It's always a pleasure. How did you get four gems in literally three minutes? I don't know. (laughs) 
you always have the same question Shravan's so a gem magnet man. Cool. <laughs> All right then so dude thank you. show made me get 2900. That's crazy dude. You're a mag- look man you're catching up with me you've been on here like 5 seconds. I want to know your trick. No, you have to say to your listeners to give you gems. There are so many people in the room. <laughs> they say if you remind them regularly they will give you gems. Akil, I've been asked to remind you that Jason Tate on one um, Eastern Conference Player of the Week. I can send you the press release if you want, just so you can uh, print it off and pin it on your wall so you can remember. I don't think it was Akil with the bad take. It was S. Ah, uh, okay. I'll send uh, it to Akil S as well. Me and Zeke were, we, we are all, we told like Tatum was second on the list. But S was like, I'm Shaq. I want to motivate Tatum. He took credit for it also. Yeah, Kendrick Perkins did something very similar. Yeah, he went to Drew Hanlon. That was weird. Yeah, that was weird. But he also went direct to Tatum as well. And um, then when Tatum played well, Kendrick tweeted out saying, um, I, cri- I-, I challenged Tatum and then he-, he roasted the challenge without like being emotional. Yeah, yes. I- I- <laughs> yeah pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. But... um. Yeah, guys, I've hit my um, I've hit my allotted time for the room. I've hit the album mark. Um, Keith Smith's room's coming up next, so if everybody's here, uh, Keith will probably be opening that room any moment now. Highly advisable you go over there. Keith's amazing. Um, he's like an encyclopedia of the NBA. I'm kind of jealous, to be quite honest with everybody. Um, he's a great guy. So definitely, uh, everybody who's in the room, go and check out Keith. Anyone listening to this, uh, if you're here next week, then you'll be able to speak with me, listen to this show, and then jump in on Keith's afterwards. As usual, um, if you've enjoyed this, please leave that five-star written review on the podcast. Helps me out a bunch. Makes me feel special. And if you didn't like the show, then please don't leave a review at all because I don't want people to say nasty things because that doesn't make me feel special. Everybody have a good day. I'll catch you again later in the week. For people who do use Locker Room, I'll be running the room on Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern and again on Friday at the same time. Everybody stay safe and we'll speak soon. See you later, buddy.